attention, attention please. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is on the air. Welcome to the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason. I am your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Camp Ojibwa for Boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded 1928. This week's guest on the podcast, Mike Nussbaum. You may know Mike Nussbaum. He is a very prominent actor in and around Chicago. He goes way back with uh, David Mamet and others. But before all of that, he was a little bit of camper on the shores of Catfish Lake in 1933. Mike and I met up down on Lakeshore Drive, had a great conversation. You're going to get to hear that in just a second. The History Project National Tour continues. Today I find myself in Newport, Rhode Island. Newport, Rhode Island. Beautiful. Uh, Wacky weather. Woke up to cold, then had sunshine, then had a hailstorm, then had sunshine, then had a snowstorm. We're back to sun. I mean, who doesn't want to live there? Sounds amazing, right? But I'll be in New York City this week, going down the eastern seaboard, heading toward D.C., If you're in the neighborhood and you want to get interviewed, let me know. Drop me a line right here at the History Project. I would love to bring the mics over and get you on tape. Who am I kidding? We don't use tape anymore. It's all digital, but that's neither here nor there. Okay, enough of these shenanigans. Let's just get right into it. I know you've been waiting for him. Mike Nussbaum on the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. Fairy tales can come true It can happen to you If you're young at heart For it's hard you will find so first and foremost, of mind. state your name and years at camp. Mike Nussbaum, my, I started in 33 and I ended in, the, in 41. So now in 33, does Al come over to the house and do... And like, yes. Is that how you find out about camp? Yeah, right. I had just recovered from rheumatic fever. Oh. And it was not... Um, my doctor was pretty iffy about me going to camp and engaging in those activities. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, my parents felt it would be a good idea. And... For me, it turned out to be all the difference. I was a small, skinny kid. I never ate anything. Mm. And going to camp just changed my life. Do you remember how old you were your first Nine. Nine. So when you go to camp at nine, do you know anybody? Do you have friends? I didn't know a soul. Uh, And I was terribly homesick, the way most kids are. Sure. Of the first week or so. But after that, I was just in my element. Mm. I had never really engaged in sport, and I discovered a strong competitive (laughs) instinct, which (laughs) suited me very well at at camp competition. Certainly, certainly. Uh, And I I found counselors with whom I uh, identified. I, I be began to want to grow up, to be like them, that mm. kind of thing. And it was just a remarkable experience all the way down. Now, in those days, you still take the train up? Yeah. You remember and that overnight train was, that was the first introduction. First of all, it was the first time I'd ever been on a train. Mm. And sure. in a booth, you know, with those, what do they call those things? Like birth. A, a, a birth. birth. Mm-hmm. And sharing the birth with a total stranger. <laughs> uh, 
but it was exciting. Uh, and somehow, total strangers like me were accepted and, and made to feel comfortable. Mm. Do you have a sort of ballpark idea in your head of how many kids there were? How, how big camp was at the I time? I think around then it was probably 90, something okay. like that. Okay, and, and I guess at that point, everyone's on the train, even if they're from somewhere else. I guess everyone loads up on the train. Once in a while, no, we had a kid from Rhinelander. Oh, uh, wow. He would come to camp. Uh, what the hell was his name? I, I can't remember. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but he lived in Highland Park, and I used to see him all the time when I lived there. Hmm. Whenever. So you take the train up, you're nine years old. Elkhorn. Was one of the guys who lived in Rhinelander. Okay. It was a family ah. that came. Yeah, we don't have very much of that anymore. We we had a, a, a one of our handymen. His son came to camp, and mm -hmm. he's local. But as far as local up there, we don't really have very much of that anymore. Yeah. Um, but you're nine years old. You take the train up first time, probably first time away from home alone. Oh too, yeah, of course. yeah, sure. Um, what's the first thing you can remember about Camp Ojibwa? The lake. Uh, the campus itself, the cabins, they were small, much smaller than they are now. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there were, I think there were maybe 10 cabins okay. at the time, uh, with eight kids in a camp, in the, uh, in a cabin, mm -hmm. max. But I think the, uh, the lakefront was so... Beautiful, I thought. And when Al had his, in the morning when he said, uh, dip or shower after the workout, <laughs> after the exercise, <laughs> sure. I couldn't wait to get in the water. I love the water. So you were a dipper, definitely. What's that? You were a dipper? I was a dipper all Absolutely. my life. Uh, now, so you get up to camp. Now, you said you love the water. Was the water just... I mean, had you been a big swimmer or anything at home, or was had, it when you got there? No, it was once I got there. Mm -hmm. I had gone to the water as a kid, and I sure. knew how to swim. But I, I had never uh, devoted much time to it or had any instruction in it. Mm -hmm. And they, it, almost immediately being thrown into competition, it, it may, I have a, an award that I got at Camp Ojibwe that I, I brought out for That's you to look at. I can't wait to see A that. swimming award, yeah. <laughs> now, did they also do, they have canoes already and rowboats and things like that? Yeah, yeah. We had canoes and rowboats. We had, we didn't have sailboats. I think not until near the end of my time there, we had small two-man mm -hmm. sailboats. And I think there was a power boat, but the, no, none of the kids got to use them. Mm -hmm. And I, nobody did any water skiing in those days. Sure. In those days, you had to swim around the islands, right? Yes. That was the test. One island or two islands, <laughs> and one to go all the way to the other side of the lake and back. That's incredible. I mean, yeah. these days, you know, the swim area is the size of this room. Like, it's not... Oh, really? You know, they... Because it's all built swim. up. Yeah. yeah. And there's, you know... In fact, when I went, we only have one uh, pier. Oh, wow. Yeah, now it's the whole... There's now there are two piers, and two main and piers, and then some smaller boat piers on the ends. And oh, I don't know those. Yeah, yeah. it just sprawls. I keep telling myself I've gone up as a visitor mm. uh, after the war for maybe five, six times. Mm. But I, uh, my wife and I, have been talking about it, driving up there someday and just seeing what it looks like now. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that um, talking with some of the older guys, it's definitely. You're going to be surprised how much has changed and surprised how much hasn't. Mm -hmm. How so many parts of the facade are, are the same. Yeah. Little adjustments here and there. But Did anybody tell you about the when they put in the second uh, field? Mm -hmm. You know, there's the uh, cabins mm -hmm. and the campus. The sort of main campus. And then mm -hmm. behind the cabins, there is a large field. I think with uh, uh, tennis, not tennis. Uh, oh, it's got uh, volleyball and, and so mm -hmm. softball and yeah, things like that. When that first year or two, when it was being uh, put into 
practice, we couldn't get into the mess hall without 50 or so number of sticks or twigs that we cleaned up from the... uh, (laughs) (laughs) So just every meal. (laughs) Just about, it seemed. You had to have your quota. That's funny. (laughs) That's how you get things done at camp. It's a a, a group activity. Speaking of group activities, so what does the day look like when you're at camp, as you recall it? How does, you know, what are the things you do throughout the day? Uh, After the dipper shower, we came back and uh, made our beds, got ready for breakfast, lined up in our cabins in front of the thing, and the the flag would go up, Mm. and we had a regular bugler. At the time, two brothers, the X brothers, mm. literally their last names were X E X, <laughs> and they would blow whatever it is you blow to raise the flag, and the reverse at night, mm. and then breakfast, and then clean the cabin, and then begin the activities. Mm. What were the sports activities like at the time? Were there? Did you play a lot of sports? Um, was yeah, it, it was almost sports? only sports. There were very few um, handicraft. Mm. Very sure. little of that. Sure. We were all playing softball or volleyball or uh, swimming or track, whatever. Mm. And what was uh, what was the big sport? I can't. Softball. Softball was the big thing. Yeah. And even then, was it 16-inch? Yeah. Because we were all from Chicago and that's what we would play if we were at home. Mm -hmm. What was your favorite sport? Softball. I played until I was 40 when I was living in Island Park. I loved it. What position? Well, when I started at camp I was shortstop because I had a good arm. Just a fair fielder but a good arm. And then in as an adult, I played uh, outfield, mm. center field. Yeah, that definitely seems like something that has continued on, that guys still play in leagues around the city, and guys over the years have always kind of done that, coming up from camp, or coming back from camp and playing here. And taking yeah, we before. had some good athletes that I remember, yeah. Yeah. Who were some of the guys you remember that were that stick out? Uh, Richie Berkson was a great shortstop. He was one of the counselors... And I think eventually camp director. Hmm. What did they call him? Not the Al was the director. The head counselor? Head counselor. Hmm. Harris. Slip Harris. I don't know what his first name is. <laughs> he played first base. He, he always could hit the ball on the leg. Hmm. That was the test. Sure. If you could get a ball on the leg. That's another one of those things that has come in a little bit. It's, <laughs> I haven't seen one actually go in the lake in a long time. <laughs> and guys talk about they used to hit over the mess hall, too, at the left. Yeah, end. yeah, the, over the mess hall, right. Yeah, these days, if they can, you know, we extended the mess hall out a few years ago, back in, uh, I guess, 01 or 02, because we it had grown so big we couldn't fit. How many kids do you have there? Um, we, now we do about 240 each session, about 240 kids each session. Wow. But we've got 14 cabins now, so it's yeah, spread out a little yeah. bit. But it still runs about, it's about 20 a cabin. How big, How many into a cabin? 20? Um, 20 in the younger cabins, and then cabins 13 and 14 are the two old, the 15-year-olds and 16-year-olds, so that gets a little... They thin out, yeah. That, there was a summer there where we got to 300 for the second session, and we learned, oh, okay, that's... That, that's <laughs> we're m- losing the game now. <laughs> More is not better. So we figured yeah. out there was sort of a sweet spot in between about 240 and 275 that really, I think, kind of nails it. And so, but they expanded the rec hall as well. They didn't uh, build it out at all. They just, where there was a porch, they filled in the porch and made it interior space. Mm-hmm. Did you, uh, do you still have canoe trips, overnight canoe trips? We do. Well, we just sort of brought them back. Um, we didn't for probably my first 10 years or so. Um, it was a thing of the past. And then we found a couple of counselors who really wanted to take it under their wing and make it a thing, and, it, and kind of brought it back in a big yeah. way. Yeah. I remember we did a uh, three-day canoe trip when I was a senior. We were rehearsing for a play 
that we were going to do when we came back. And I remember we would shout the lines to each other as we were paddling <laughs> in different canoes. Just a bunch of boys running down the lake yeah. in canoes. <laughs> the locals are like, what is this crazy stuff? Right, right. That's funny. Um, so you're there for nine, ten summers, I guess. Nine summers. And as you went on, did softball continue to be your favorite? Or did you sort of expand Yeah, softball level? was my favorite land sport. Mm-hmm. But swimming was also a major element. As you know, we used to have a lot of inter-camp competitions. Right. We were... One of the things that the camp seemed to point towards was being the victor between inter-camp competitions. Mm. And it was baseball, tennis, and swimming that were generally involved. And with Kawaga and uh, can't remember the names of the other camps mm. right now. Is Kawaga still there? They are. In fact, they just celebrated their hundredth summer uh, two summers ago, summer before last. They had the they had a big hundredth reunion. Wow! And um, they held an event at camp where they invited all of the other camps except for one. <laughs> it was a little rivalry problem, but. <laughs> All the other camps they invited over, so all the kids from all the camps went there for the day. Well, in my day, we used to beat the shit out of them. <laughs> we still do. We still do. Um, yeah, we don't... Uh, it's not quite, I think, as overwhelming as it used to be, but we'll still do a whole day of competition with a camp, and we'll yeah. lose three games out of 30 or something like yeah, that. So yeah. it's still a big part of what we do. Yeah, that's um, great. <laughs> that's definitely part of the Yojuba tradition. But along the line with sports, the other side, I talk to everyone about this, is even though we don't advertise it, even though it's not the thing you think of right away, the entertainment side of Camp Ojibwa has always been just as important. The Ojibwa station, whether it's Intercabin Sing or Collegiate Week or whatever, it's always been there. So, yeah. And so secret that, as you've said, you know, this led you down the path to what you would eventually do for a living for the rest of your life. So tell me how camp started that. Uh... I remember that my first experience with it was a, a program for visitors' night, mm. and a guy named Phil Revitz, who was the drama counselor gotcha. at the time. Uh, I was nine or ten; I can't remember. And uh, he picked me to be the kind of the presenter to start the show, mm. and I, he put me up in a in a clown outfit with full makeup and I did a couple of cartwheels onto the stage and I <laughs> went like this and I was supposed to say welcome whatever the lines were I don't know and I knew I didn't know them then and I don't know them now <laughs> and I froze when I did this mm. and I finally they had to take me off the stage walk me off the stage and I spent hours crying of course and why I didn't develop a a fear of theater after that, I don't know. Sure. But it just, I guess, it invoked my competitive spirit in a way that mm. from then on, that's what I wanted to do. <laughs> so in those days, you have the, the visiting... The, when the parents visit that show, are there other outlets as well? Yeah, there was the uh, the minstrel show, mm. which was <laughs> such bad taste. There was the uh, counselor show. I can't remember what they called it. Mm. Just the counselors. It, uh, you, I'm sure you've heard of Howie Teichman. No, I haven't. Oh, he was a. Uh, he went on to be a Broadway playwright. Okay. Uh, worked with George S. Kaufman uh, in several plays. He wrote a play called The Solid Gold Cadillac, starring some famous actor, Helen Hayes, I think. Mm. Wow. Uh, yeah, he, I mean, he was uh, a well-known Broadway name, famous in Camp Ojibwe for streaking on <laughs> the campus on visiting day <laughs> once. <laughs> Anyhow, they would do a, a camp what did they call it? Counselor something. It was a uh, a, a musical. 
okay. that they would do uh, every year. With a, uh, they would pick a theme and something that would somehow relate to the kids that they would find funny, using real music but putting in their own lyrics. Gotcha. Uh, that was one of the regular shows. Counselor Capers, it might have been called. Hmm. Something like that. Okay. Is there at that time? Is there sort of like a, are there regular musicians who keep coming back or, or staff guy musicians that are either playing? Generally, the there's. Uh, one or two people who are, or more, who can play the piano or maybe a counselor or one of the kids, uh, certainly buglers. Today, I would imagine, or for the last 30, 40 years, there were a lot of uh, string players. Mm, yeah. But it's, in it's, my day, they didn't, <coughs> they were very It wasn't few. as popular. It is, it's definitely the amount of kids who well, specifically kids that come up that play, has, has shrunk, I think, a lot. Uh-huh. Um, and then w- there was a big run from the late 40s through into, into the 80s, really, and almost 90s, where there were three guys, four guys, Lou Mager, Lou Fletcher, and Paul, and then Elliot Friedman along the way, too. Um, and those guys really, Elliot didn't play, but the other three were just virtuosos, especially, yeah. you know, they yeah. could just, you know, come up and play anything out of their heads, and play by ear and a kid could come and hum something to them and they could play it so that is a very useful tool yeah, yeah. to sort of keep that kind of shit going so I just wondered if before those guys if there had kind of been that sort of same virtual virtuoso type yeah there were guys there was a guy named uh, I think it's Richard Ellisberg mm-hmm. who eventually became a very well known physician here in Chicago uh, he was a great pianist uh, Goldberg one of the guys in my, my cabin. We used to call him Socks Goldberg because he had regular socks with, I mean, grown-up socks with a with uh, stocking garters that he would wear with his shorts. And <laughs> a, a real long... <laughs> shorts? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Um, so what else about the stage, though? So you... Obviously, you got yourself back up on the stage. Yeah, again. because uh, yeah, one one play that I remember vividly was called the submarine. The one we were rehearsing on the canoe trip. Mord Omen, Marv Jacobs, who lives in Calbuth, still alive, and Len Sosma, who is dead. Uh, and it was a melodrama about three men left on a submarine and the only way they can get out is to expel through the torpedo tube but it, there are only two tubes and only enough air to do do it for two of the guys and one man loses in picking straws mm. and I was the guy who lost and at the end he he loses his courage and he, he cries let me out, let me out and he tries to fight and somehow they figured it out in the camp to open up the ceiling, the phony ceiling that was to uh, emulate the submarine, and a rush of water came down as if, the, and that's how the show went. Wow. Anyhow, it was, it was a terrible melodrama, <laughs> but I loved every moment of it. My God. To get that kind of acting done. I, I mean, that's heavy for a Campo Jimbo production. That's oh, really, boy. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And so with that kind of stuff, is that where our guys, our camp guys writing that as well? Our counselors, do you, uh, you come up with that? Or are you... Yeah. Well, on, on uh, Collegiate Week, you always wrote your stuff. Sure. Of course. And any of those... That really stick out some stunts from stunt night of collegiate week. I don't remember. I was well known for being a good jitterbug in those days, mm. so they would always figure out something for me to jitterbug to. <laughs> I couldn't sing worth a damn. So, hmm. I was going to ask you about collegiate week. So, when you started, was collegiate week already happening yet? No, or? I think it started about three or four years after I uh, okay. started to camp. It was the usual red-white mm, like division a color of the camp. Sort of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But that apparently was not enough competition. <laughs> right. 
And by the end of my time there, when we knew Collegiate Week was coming, everybody was sick with trepidation. Mm. Not much has changed. <laughs> we moved it. Now it's the last week of camp instead of the sixth week of camp. Oh, yeah? I think that um, the way Denny tells it is that Al believed you had to do it the sixth week so that the kids who lost wouldn't go home feeling like they lost something, that they'd have time to do other things and kind of forget mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that Denny knew how big Collegiate Week was, that once you got over that hurdle, nothing else mattered. Yeah, it had true, been, it had just, and, it, and it still, it just continues to grow. And yeah. it's these guys, I talk to these guys, every, every guy I sit with will <laughs> tell me his Collegiate Week record and how many he won and... You know, it's amazing. The, the biggest sporting event in the entire North Shore happens <laughs> six hours north. Um, <clears throat> but we've been trying to track down when the first one was. We have yearbooks that go back to 38. And in the 38 yearbook, they mentioned the 37 winner. So we know there was one in 37, but we don't have anything. I can't believe it was before then. Uh, the fact that the uh, that Ojibwa has really become known for its emphasis on competition. A lot of people think that's a bad thing. Yeah. I thought it it, it helped form me in a in a good way. Because all, Al always used to use the phrase, it isn't whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. Uh, he would ten times a year would say that to the kids. And it became the way you thought mm-hmm. about the game. You gave it everything you had, but when it was over, you shook hands and you did your best. You know. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a big piece of the, of the conversation all the way back and talking about that certain outsiders would see that as a, as a detriment or maybe a camp they wouldn't want to go to or wouldn't want to send their kids to because of the competition. But anyone who spent more than two years at camp says exactly the opposite. Yeah, that, right. it, that it's the competition that helped them be who what they, are. they are. Yes. Yeah. Even on the stage, I mean, even as we we're talking about, even with like stunt night or whatever, like whatever you did, even if it was going to the mess hall, you had to go get your fifty sticks. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was, right. You know, they found right. a way to sort of make everything be competitive because it's yeah. camp. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So you said that. Um, you were there long enough to be a JC for a couple of years. Yeah. What was that experience like for you? It was great. It was... Being a junior counselor was wonderful. Being a waiter was the most fun. <laughs> you got to eat the, the food first. And, and all the guys who were, who were JCs with you were guys you spent 10 years mm. with at camp. Sure. It was one uh, Terrific. Do they still have warriors and braves? Mm-hmm. And I was going to ask you that, about that. Um, were there powwows and did you do the braves? There were powwows and I was uh, chief of the braves and mm-hmm. I was a warrior and I was a really good Indian dancer and uh, I felt for all that stuff because <laughs> it was so dramatic and everything. Sure, of course. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. Yeah, the chief of the braves is... Uh, I will say, of all the other honors, that even with its winning Collegiate Week or being chosen as the first player of Collegiate Week, yeah. all of those pale in comparison to the Chief of the Braves yeah. with the yeah. guys I've talked to. That that is the really the honor, and it's yeah. chosen by your your colleagues and the kids. And, and I remember how broken everything. up I was 50 years ago when I lost my Warriors ring or something. Oh. That is, we... Don't do them anymore. They stopped somewhere in the, let's say maybe the eighties, the early eighties with the mm-hmm. rings. Maybe, maybe earlier. You don't have warriors anymore. Or you don't. We still have warriors. We just don't do the rings. Um, uh-huh. Denny switched it up, and he does. Um, we've done watches now for several years, and and um, they do a ten-year jacket. Once you have ten years in, either ten years combined as a camper and staffman, or if you've never been a camper, five years as a staffman only. Uh huh. So, for example, myself, I came in as a staff man. Yeah. So I got mine after five and, and became a warrior then. But if you if you have been a camper, it takes ten. And we've had a handful of kids that got their tenure jacket as a camper. Um, 
but these days it's not as prevalent to go as early. I know in the very earliest days, yeah, like they Marshall were six said he started seven, when he was yeah. five. Right, because he had an older brother there. <laughs> he told me that story. He said, you know, what are you, you're five years old. Do you think you should go? Well, don't worry. My brother's going to watch out for me. He's seven. <laughs> <laughs> as a JC, were there kids that stick out for you that you remember even now that were really like your guys, like you really connected with? Uh, yeah, there was. More than one, but whose names escaped me now. Sure. Or I should say that likewise. As a camper, were there guys who were your counselors who, you, like, really still... Oh, God. I, were the big ones. Almost half of the counselors were people I thought were my heroes. Mm. Um, the, I don't know if you've spoken to Alan Klein. Not yet. He's on my list, though. Okay, well, he had a big brother who was a... Uh, a wonderful athlete, a competitive swimmer at the University of Michigan, which at that time was the best swimming team in the world. Mm. Uh, guys like that, sure. And yeah. Harris and Berkson, and it goes on. Right? Yeah, and talking about the Michigan thing, by the time you leave, camp is really starting to become a big athletic camp. Or like the real. St- good athletes from Chicago are starting to come up there by that time, right? Yeah, oh yeah. You know, it's more than just like get out of town, summer camp. It's now right. it's starting to be the right. premier Jewish right. athletes. And, and they tend to uh, hire counselors with those backgrounds. Yeah. So you said you've gone back a few times. after. So you stopped going... After the war. The war um, uh, Marv Jacobs and Jack Jacobs, who was a counselor for many years, assistant waterfront director or something uh, and Marshall Domash and I would drive up to camp and stay at the father's lodge or the is that it's still called well, now that's cabin 14 so that in the 90s they converted that into a cabin for the older kids so, the and so where does the visitors stay uh, the visitors if uh, it's not as sort of open as it once was so it's not like an open policy for dads to just come up anymore. Um, there are some, there's a group of buildings for the investors. So in the 80s, uh, when Al sold the camp, he sold yeah. it to any of the group of investors. Yeah. Any of the investors can stay in that area during, the, during the season. Um, other than that, the only other real guests we have are doctors. Can't oh, so visitors can't come up. Not so much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you okay. can obviously come to the grounds and things like that, but yeah. staying on the grounds is not uh, part of it anymore. It makes sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can see, I, I can really see both sides of it. I've talked to so many guys who were there for the dad's lodge era, and the idea of being able to go up and hang out for two or three days with your kid, and all through the summer there'd be some dads there basically all the time. Yeah. That's got a nice feel to it, but I can also see, too, especially with the helicopter parents and everything yeah, else yeah, now. That yeah. Do they still have postseason? They do. Yeah, postseason is still going strong. Um, they do a full week and then they do a half week, so two separate sessions. I started staying for postseason about eight years ago. And, and couples it. can come up. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And now kids. Uh, in the older days, no kids were allowed. I think yeah, that was yeah. a hard and fast Pearl rule. Pearl. Um, Al and Pearl. I never got to meet Al. Um, obviously, Pearl was already gone, but by the time I started, it's right when, just as Al died, actually. Tell me a little bit about that. As a camper, did you were you able to kind of have a relationship with them, or were they just sort of over there? Uh, Al had a relationship somehow with every camper. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it wasn't real, but he very quickly knew everybody's name mm-hmm. and everybody's nickname. Uh, and he would always give you a buck you up, oh, some how or other during the day as he walked by or saw you. Uh, he was a... And, of course, at, at meals, lunch and dinner, he would always... Not always, but often give a kind of speech. Hmm. And it was hilarious most of the time. <laughs> he was a brilliant speaker. And they were all stories with messages. Hmm. Either people were dropping paper on the campus or somebody was caught smoking or being rude to the uh, kitchen staff. Mm. He would find some message to give you, to help you to behave better, Mm. to learn the rules of good behavior. 
in a way that didn't feel oppressive. Mm. He was a, a remarkable man. You only wanted his approval, mm. his smile. When he would come by and say, Hey, Nessie, how you doing? I, mm. uh, I just bloomed. Mm. That's amazing. And then is Pearl as sort of upfront? Well, you know, uh, she didn't start until, I don't remember when they got married, but I don't think she was at camp until 35 or Mm. 36. She wasn't there my first year. So for those first couple of years for you, it's just Al. I think, yeah, it was just Mm. Al. He wasn't married yet. Mm. That's what I believe. And I remember uh, she had uh, her daughter, whose name I can't remember, um, Ellen? Ellen, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, at camp. She was a little baby in, in a few months old. Uh, somehow, we always felt that Pearl was a kind of an intrusion. Mm. <laughs> well, I, I would imagine, especially if you had been there before. Yes, for right. sure. Yeah. She sort of took Al away from you a little bit. <laughs> right, right. And I'm sure with the yeah. kids who didn't know about, who didn't come earlier, felt that she was a wonderful addition mm. to the camp, a motherly image. Yeah. yeah. Were there, well, that actually brings up an interesting question. So in that time, do you remember any women being at camp at all? The nurse. It was a nurse, okay. And the staff in the kitchen. Right, that's Katie? Katie, and, and uh, I don't remember the names of the other women, mm-hmm. but Katie was... Beloved, mm. and her food was unparalleled. I, <laughs> I was a, a very finicky eater before I went to camp, mm. and I learned to eat there. And I learned, and then when I was a JC and waiting tables, she uh, she became very close to all of us. Mm. I can see that definitely. Her, you being her. Her little team and yeah, taking care yeah. of you, and, and somehow she treated us always well, except there was one day, and it must have been a Sunday, fried chicken day, and the waiters just ate up most of the fried chicken before the campers came in. <laughs> it was terrible, terrible uh, dust up after that. <laughs> Did they still have the uh, uh, hikes to town? Oh, no. We don't do that anymore. That is maybe my favorite thing I learned so far doing this, is that we would just walk the whole camp to town. Like, yeah, yeah. And and the guys from those eras are just like, yeah, of course, that's just what you did. <laughs> and now, I mean, I, we won't even walk to the to Maramita, which I guess, I don't know. That was that beautiful lake? The... Mita Lake is over there, and there's a girls' camp there. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, in, the, in the old days, I guess the guy who started Maramita was persona non grata with Al. So I know that they didn't do a lot of crossing over. I think he, they've been partners or something. And, huh. um, but in the past 30 years, that's all changed, different ownership and things like that. So we, you know, we have socials with them. Or we, we oh, do, I didn't know that. Um, for several years, we've done a, a play with them. So we do a musical. So uh-huh. we go over and use their girls, and then we'll do Grease or yeah. Bye oh. Bye Birdie oh. or something. and. Um, so we have that, but even that, they're a mile away, and we won't walk the kids all over there. <laughs> so in my head, I'm just like, oh, no, walking to town, that part's fine. Yeah, <laughs> we used to walk to town and have the most terrible sandwiches. But Sa- then when you got to town, you could go to Zimpleman. Uh, no. Sandwiches from the kitchen, like gold yeah, cuts. Yeah, right. And then you go to town and go to Zimpleman's. Yeah. Is Zimpleman's still there? There is a fudge shop there, so it's not... It's not as implements as it was. Um, but there is a old-fashioned soda fountain that is open around the corner. Huh. So it has the spirit of... Yeah. You know. Did you guys have socials? Did, did you have the girls' camp or anything? No one came no. over like that. No. Just the, there was the a gir- girls' camp. The only girl camp was Agawak. Mm. And I guess Maramita. I don't know if it was a camp even then. Yeah, I don't know when they... Did you get into trouble at camp? Were you... Did you get... No, I never. I don't remember getting into trouble. Go to uh, the office. The, was it the green room then? Al's 
they call it that? Yeah, yeah. But no, I, uh, I don't. I was never punished for anything. I was, I was a good camper. <laughs> That's what they all say. I won the best midget camper of the year. Or Whoa! Best something. I, I don't know. You got all kinds. Did you? Were they already doing the, um, the little plaques where you put the. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I think near the end of my time. Close to the end of my time. Yeah, I think... We used to get cups. Oh. Oh, like little, uh, like trophies. Yeah, yeah, and they would get bigger and bigger as as you got to senior year. And this is the trophy that I had. You know, there there was an Al Schwartz, who was the water director, who was in the 32 Olympics, or the 28 Olympics. Wow. Swimming. A different Al Schwartz. A different Al Schwartz, mm-hmm. yeah. So we're looking at, I just want to get this re- recorded. So we're looking at your 1939 Best Swimmer Trophy. Uh, for those of you at home, it is almost a foot tall. It has a full bronze-esque statue. <laughs> I think it's silver. It's just aged. <laughs> I see. <laughs> um with a nameplate with your name on it. Yeah, it's the Tommy Lipman Best Swimmer Campo Jibble Myra Nussbaum. So the, the award itself is called the Tommy Lipman yeah, he, Best Ojibwa. He was a friend of Al's and he donated That's the original. And so what you're saying was that when you won this, you got to take it home for the year. You got to keep it that year, but then you brought it back to camp, and then they would give you a copy that would No, yours. no, I had a copy made. My, oh, I see. My I see. mother did or something. I see. I don't remember. But in general, when you won it, you get to take it home for the year, have it to show yes. off here, and, and then, then bring yeah. it back. And I would have thought that they would list the name, all the names. Yeah, for sure. But I guess they didn't. Or they just replaced it each yeah. time or something. Or. Yeah. The only uh, the only other trophies even in this era I've seen. Um, do you remember Richard Elrod? Yes, Steve Elrod. Yeah. Dad. So, Steve has two of his collegiate trophies, and they're about that height with the cup. The top yeah, half is yeah, the cup, yeah. and so I've no, seen. I those. don't have any of those things. <laughs> no collegiate wins. <laughs> <clears throat> no, just <laughs> nightmares from collegiate week. <laughs> And I love competition. Yeah. It really brings out the best and the worst in Camp Ojibwe. It, it truly does. <laughs> yeah. Now, in those days, with Collegiate Week, did you um, play more uh, more more different sports than you normally do? Yeah, sure. They, they brought were. other things into play. Partly to, to help use. We had all those little kids. Of course. Two, six, seven, and eight, you know. You know, do something with them that they yeah, can do competitively. Yeah, so you would have track events that were scaled down to the kids to mm. that kind of thing. Uh, putting a basketball into the... Oh, sure. You know, just not even a game, just trying to sink a basket. Mm. That makes sense. I mean, be, to be able to scale it down so that everyone can play. Yeah, yeah, right. That was also the worst thing, picking the picking for a Oh, how did, how was that like? So when, because um, that is something that's changed off and on throughout the years. So when they picked Collegiate Week, what did it look like? As I recall, the, the counselor and the junior counselor with each team, who started each team, the whole camp was out there and they would name their picks in order. Just in front of the whole camp? Yeah. And did you do it, like, on the campus or, like, in the On hall? the campus. Mm. I think in front of the flagpole. Like a... It's terrible. I don't remember it clearly. Mm. Oh. But it was, the first one was great fun, and then after that we realized yeah. how, what an emotional drain it was. <laughs> because it never stopped. At night, you was... You had to compete. <laughs> were there any uh, Were there any lights uh, on any of the fields or anything at night there? I no, mean, none of that no. was there yet, right? So basically, no. Yeah, yeah. All activities tonight were in the rec room or a mm. campfire. Or, 
or that's right. Yeah. And then the um, where the campfire, the big campfire site is. Now we've got a little stage out there with a little backdrop and some like a mini amphithe- amphitheater of seating. Was any of yeah. that there? No. No, it was just a air spot in the woods. Yeah. Basically around the campfire. Yeah. That's amazing. The I was going to ask you about the rec hall too. So, but the rec hall was there when you started. I have a feeling that it wasn't there when mm. I started. It was added. Mm. Do you recall, did you get yearbooks? Something to take home? We got a, uh, what was it called, the Warrior? The Warrior, like I said, I, I've got It was a regular publication. Yeah. Once a week or something like that. Oh, the Medicine Man. Medicine Man. And then we would get a uh, a compilation of those when we I left, see. I believe. Okay. I um, we've got so the yearbook, the end of yearbook that they did is called they call it the Warrior, and I've got those going back to thirty eight. Oh, I don't remember them. Yeah, we don't have one for forty one. We can't figure out why, whether it was they didn't do one or. So, Saving paper for back the war. To 38. I mean, it been wow. amazing, but it goes back to thirty-eight, and I'm, I've been just trying to figure out if they did them before. I think they did them, but I think it's what you're talking about. I think what they were before that were just the medicine men kept through the season. Com- and yeah, I together. think that's what it was. Yeah. By the time it gets to the like the thirty-eight one, it's um, so it'll list each cabin, and then list every person in the cabin with a little blurb. Oh, yeah, I'd love to see one. And then talk about the sports. I should have brought. Oh, well, I I, I can send you um. I can certainly send you a link, but I can, I might be able to come up with one. Okay. I might be able to come up with one with you in it, so. Okay. Um, prior to 40, every year was different. They would do these parchment covers, and I guess they just mimeograph or something is how they would do yeah. it all. And in about 40, they settled on a cover that stayed until mm-hmm. the 80s, this big Indian warrior. and Yeah. Um, and then every once in a while during the war, they threw in a couple of V for victories on the back page and... Little little hints of things here and there. But, um, it's really interesting to me, you know, being obviously we're so far removed, how much military influence there was early on, especially. Um, I guess um, Al's son Mickey was in, Al's son Mickey served at some point, and so he even brought a little bit more of that in with like inspection and stuff. And, well, we had inspections before. You mean, uh, what was it, on Friday or Saturday? There was. Inspection, mm. uh, where Al and the director would go through each cabin and check each bed and each camper to see that they were fine and presenting themselves right. Mm. Look at their, and that was, I guess, military, but this was before the war. Right. <clears throat> so you were, it just was what it was. Yeah. Mm. I guess you had a. Build in a discipline. Uh, you yeah. had eighty or ninety kids. I think later there's a period of time after the war where they there's like marching drills and things like that. Oh yeah, riflery. Did they have riflery? Uh, the last couple of years they had one of the things that when they put in that extra field hmm. was to add a thing like archery and uh, riflery. Oh, right. They'd so always had uh, uh, horseback riding. Hmm. Oh, I forgot that. Did you do that? Yeah, sure. I learned how to ride bareback. Oh, wow. Yeah. And at that time, the did they kept the horses there all the time, right? Yeah, I think so. I know eventually they moved them. And one off, of the kids I was severely injured when he was on a horse that bolted and went back into his stall. Oh. And the kid's knee was badly damaged. Oh. So now... You've lived a long life. You're grown up. Uh, how has camp influenced that life? In ways I'm not even aware of, but uh, I think that my ethic in life came from camp and from from uh, Al and my counselors. I. Uh, I thought they were just, I mean, they were humans, and they were constantly making terrible mistakes, I guess, but they were gods to me, Mm. 
and I tried to pattern my life after some of them. Uh, I came from a uh, difficult childhood, and it was I have no memory of my childhood. My life started when I went to Camp Ojibwa. Wow. Literally, and it has, I have profited from it all my life. Yeah. Uh, the fact that I'm still working, that's genetic luck. <laughs> but uh, that I'm working at what I'm doing is from Camp Ojibwa. It all started on that stage with the yeah, right. wheels and the freeze-up. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> right. That's wonderful. Well, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time. No, away. I can't this thank you enough for bringing me these wonderful memories. Yes. Okay, there we go. Another one in the books. Mike Nussbaum, a good storyteller, really good storyteller. We talked a little bit about his swim trophy. I know that wasn't the best radio you've ever heard, but I have put a picture of it with the podcast posting today so you can see a picture of what we were talking about. The swim trophy is really incredible. It's so much bigger than you think it is. And the fact that they got to take it home and bring it back like the Stanley Cup each year, <laughs> really, really cool. Uh, Thank you to Mike for being awesome. All right. If you want to get in touch with the Camp Ojibwa History Project, you know how. Drop me an email. Christopher at CampOjibwaHistory.org. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, the national tour is going to be hitting the East Coast this week, starting in New York City tomorrow and heading down the coast. If you're in that area and you'd like to get on the podcast, let me know. Reach out. The tour is wrapping up soon, so let me get there while I can. Looks like the weather is finally cleared up again, so maybe I'll head outside. 